Good morning. Good morning. What a joy and pleasure to be here. I am just so grateful for the opportunity to come and be here with people that are just so near and dear to my heart. And so I love each and every one of you. And I just hope and pray that this morning you received an encouragement. I just got to say, that is really not fair at all that you have Hunter Bachman and a celloist. Wow, man, I'm just like, you guys are spoiled here. That's all I got to say. It's a two-hour drive. You need to make your service earlier so I can catch my early service or do your service later so I can make Because that is fantastic. The worship was amazing. Uh, Yo-Yo Ma has nothing on you. So just, uh, just incredible to have a celloist. What a great time to just worship in the presence of the Lord, especially in the day and age we live on. You know, I don't know about you, but it's just like social media got that off my phone. You know, you stop listening to the news. You just like, there's just too much in the world where you're like, can we just go to church every day and be around God's people? And can we just worship and just pray through this? And so uh, worship team, that's exactly what we needed. So thank you so much for it. It's such a blessing. Well, I come here on an assignment to be here this morning. Uh, Jeremy said it. I grew up here, and uh, so there was an investment made into me years and years ago by Sunday school teachers, by children's church workers, by those that were attending. Uh, Mrs. Church was the first Sunday school teacher I had in, uh, remember, I think you had first and second grade, or maybe it was just second grade, Mrs. Church. And it was funny because that was at the Bryan property. And that little Sunday school room, it was myself, Kaylin, and David, I think were the three staple ones. Our sticker chart, those were filled in, all right? Those are the days that you got a sticker chart. So that's all I cared. I don't, I don't know if I learned anything, Mrs. Church, but my sticker chart was filled in, all right? That's, that's what those stickers kept me coming. And uh, then my parents bought that house, and then that room turned into my bedroom. And so it was like the fear of God was just in that room, you know. It was like I'm not going to sneak out or anything, you know, because, like, the, the, the presence of Mrs. Church is here, you know, in my room. So anytime I was afraid of the dark, I was like, yep, her spirit is here, you know. And uh, so just so grateful. And then Mrs. Keller Halls, you were my Sunday school teacher. When we moved over to the Clinton property, and we had that little spooky house where we needed the presence of the Lord, because that place was haunted for sure, and not just the Holy Ghost. That place was, I don't, it was a weird place, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we had that property, and so, so many memories, so many people just touched my life, and uh, it's neat. Um, Miss Lori, thank you so much for making sure Max didn't eat me as I jumped over your fence all those years ago, Miss Lori Safford, and uh, Max is a great dog, and he's in dog heaven. Uh, we know that's where he's going to be, and I know my husky will be there one day with him. Cat people, sorry, I, I don't think cats are going to be in heaven. Dogs, we know. Uh, cats, probably not. Horses, for sure, but uh, cats, no, they're too much like, yeah, just probably not going to be there. And so just grateful to be here. So many, so many opportunities to just look back on all the good memories. Uh, anybody know how many churches are in California? I hear a lot. If you had to throw out a number, could you throw out a number? Just, just throw out a number. 30,000. 30, All right, 30,000. The worship leader says 30,000. He's probably close, you know, and everything. Anybody else? You got a number? 35,000. 35, okay. All right. One enough in you. Okay. Who give me five? Who give me ten? Here, here, here. You know. Um, 
Can I say this morning that there's not 30,000? There's not 15,000? It's not 10,000. There's only one. There's only one. And our church right now is praying for this church. And I come here on an assignment because I want to just encourage you all that God has great things in store for you. And I am easily worked up. And yes, I had a cup of Pete's coffee and then I had my own espresso coffee. But even if I didn't have those, Mike Wallace, our former everything guy, is here with me. He, he moved, and if you can get him to make the drive from Visalia, he's a godsend. Um, he knows I don't need caffeine to get going, but I talk fast, and my wife will constantly, you know, tell me to kind of, hey, slow down, you know, and everything. So if I get going, it's just because I love the opportunity to be here, and uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm so excited for uh, good to meet Pastor Daryl. What a blessing he is, and uh, what a great opportunity, what great days ahead. And then I would be remorse if I didn't say this. I just want to thank the Keller Hall family uh, for their leadership, and the Goldsboro family, and Hunter. Can we just thank them? You say, why? Uh, the Goldsboros and the Keller Halls don't get paid to do what they do. There's no big checks that they got waiting for them. They don't have to do it. Church ministry, uh, my wife and I will have this debate sometimes. Can we do this but without people? <laughs> because people make things, they do people things. And I said, yeah, people, we do people things, don't we? But at the end of the day, my wife and I, we were talking about this on the drive over. I went to a spiritual formation retreat a couple weeks ago. And the guy at the spiritual formation retreat, he said something. He said, isn't it interesting as you read Genesis chapter number uh, 2, God said in all his creation, there was one thing that isn't good. Anybody know what it is? Shout it out. It's okay to talk back in church. It's all right. Yeah. It's not good that man is alone. It's interesting, though, because was Adam actually alone? No, God was there. So what the example there is given is that we need this. We need this. Brother Jeremy shared with it. You know, what carries over, but then he needed to get around Pastor Gerald, Brother Keller Halls, and Hunter, and all of a sudden, that, that community, that, that, that group, that iron sharpening iron, that spurring one another on to good works, that happens in that community, and we need that. And so that's why we gather. That's why it's so important. And that's why I'm so glad that we're done with the online stuff. If you like the online stuff, that's good for you. I don't. I never did. I was like, we need, I need to be around people, you know. And if it's a fist bump, if it was a high five, or if it was an air wave, whatever, I just like seeing people, you know. And so when I couldn't be around people, I just went to Costco. <laughs> I see you. I'll stay six feet away. But it was just like, I see people. I need to be around people. Well, let's take God's word, and let's go to Ezekiel chapter number 37. Ezekiel 37. I want to look at a passage of scripture together. I don't see a clock. It's 11.14. What time do y'all normally get done? Jeremy said he wanted to go get lunch. So aside from him, what time normally do you get done? When I get done. Thank you, Mrs. Izzard. You're going to, an hour from now, you may regret saying that. But uh, all right, we, we try not to do that. Ezekiel 37, verse number one, the Bible says, the hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. 
and it was full of bones. I want to stop there just for a moment. He set him down in the middle of the valley. We talk about valleys and valleys throughout Scripture have to do with this idea of a low point, a depressed point, a, a discouraging point in our life, and, and he's in the middle of it. Question for you this morning, what are you in the middle of? What are you in the middle of? A little bit of doubt, some discouragement, big decision, gas prices, you and me both. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. I drove over from San Jose, I know. But we're in the middle of stuff. But then not only are you in the middle of something, did you notice what it said? Who brought him to the middle of it? The hand of the Lord is upon me, and he brought me. Sometimes what we're in the middle of, we really love to blame the devil, don't we? Or you're like me, and you have high condemnation. You got a lot of inner dialogue where you tell yourself, ah, I'm so stupid. Can't believe I did that. Sometimes it is God who says, I'm going to set you in the middle of something. And you and I have a decision, because when you're in the middle, you, got, you can go forward or you can go back, and it's the same distance. So the temptation is to go back to what's familiar instead of going forward in what God's called you to. And so here's Ezekiel. God sets him down this valley, and maybe you feel like you're in the middle of something. Verse number two, then he caused me to pass by them. All around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, and these bones surely will I cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with the skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Notice, this is what he's beginning to speak over these bones or imagine over, but he hasn't actually said anything. Nothing's actually happened. But this is what's about to happen. And you and I, we can look at the scripture where we can see all the promises of God and we say, I know those promises are there. Like I know them in my head, but I don't really believe them. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Where he, had, he has this imagination. He has this vision of what can be, but it actually, actually happened. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. I'm going to pray over this passage and pray over you, this great people, great church. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the joy and privilege that Jane and I have to be here. I pray that you would just allow just your Holy Spirit to go up and down these aisles and just speak to each and every individual. May you have free course in our lives. God, would you give us a heightened awareness of your presence? And you, would you give us a greater sensitivity to our sins? May we be cleansed by your word, and may we draw close to you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said,
Amen. Would you touch your neighbor and say, don't bet against the bones? Don't bet against the bones. It's okay to talk back. It's okay to talk in church. Uh, I like to have a little bit of talk back, a little bit. I don't need to feed off of an audience, but here's what I do know. Motion creates emotion, and so as you get expressive in the work of God, kind of, it, it, it helps you to stay engaged and not be thinking about lunch and other things. So it's okay to kind of engage just a little bit with me. But I'm so glad that you are here Especially as we look at this passage, because in this passage, we see verses 1 through 6, we see a dead and desperate scene. And one time or another, whether now or whether in your past or one day in your future, you will encounter a dead and desperate scene. Our church last week, we have a dear volunteer. She's been coming to our church since we first started in one of our early locations at a theater. And her name is Janae McDonald. She came a few weeks ago, and she's on our host team. And the first thing she did is she made a beeline to my wife, Jane, and came up to her and said, the cancer has spread all over my body. The doctors don't know what to do. So we step back, and you say, God, this is, this is desperate. God, this, is, this seems hopeless. You hear of situations over and over like that. Where it just seems like, God, what's going on? This is a, a, a desperate scene. And that's what Ezekiel's confronted with. Now, if you were to go to the book of Deuteronomy 28, verses 25 and 26, God had told them this would happen in Deuteronomy 28. That if you rebel and you follow idolatry, this is what's going to happen. And so here, Ezekiel finds himself. And to get a great image of it, you have to go back to the original Lion King movie, to the elephant graveyard. And then maybe that picture right there, you can kind of picture the valley of bones a little bit better. And you can kind of imagine this scene where Ezekiel finds himself and he's surrounded by all these bones. And he's surrounded by things that he's just thinking, what is God gonna do here? And then God gives him a command and God says, hey, I want you to prophesy to him. I want you to preach. But before he does that, God asks him an important question. Verse number three, he says, son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. That's kind of a cop-out answer. He doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He says, only God, only you know. When's the last time you were confronted with a situation? Guys, this happens to us all the time. Our wives will come out and say, how does this dress make me look? And then you're just like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to pass out right now. That'll be far better. I'm going to call 911. I'm going to go to an ambulance because if I say it looks really good, then they say, oh, you always say that. And if I say, oh, it, it you know, this or, you know, it just, it, it doesn't work out well for us. So it's just better to just pass out, guys, and go to the hospital, you know. It, it, it's a tough question. And so we're really good at dodging the question. And here Ezekiel kind of has a cop-out answer. God says, can these live? It's binary, yes or no. And he says, well, you know. And you're looking at the situation in your life right now, and God is speaking to you and saying, hey, can I work in this situation? And then you're stepping back and saying things like this, real Christianese. Well, God, you know, if it's your will, God asks us questions, and instead of us answering in faith, we kind of punt on answering. So we walk by faith, not by sight. So every question I bring should be an answer of faith. That my feelings say no, but my faith says absolutely. You see, we live now in a culture where feelings are now fact and feelings are foundational. 
It's not right. I'm just saying that's what's happened. Where much of our Christianity is based on our feelings. Some of us had to fight our feelings about getting out of our warm, cozy bed and getting to church. There was a real struggle there. It didn't matter the faith. It didn't matter any of it. Your feelings were fighting you. And so this morning, we've got to say, wait a minute. My faith has to be the foundation of everything I do. But we now live in a day and age where it seems like faith is second to our feelings. And here in this passage, God is asking Ezekiel the prophet a question. Can these bones live? And you would think this prophet would say, after God just said, hey, I'm going to do it. You would say, sure, God, you just said it was going to happen. So, yes, this is going to happen. And this morning, you may be looking at a des- dead and desperate situation. You say, I, I don't know. And I think what hinders us from stepping out and speaking in faith is because of what we see. Is because what we see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And nowadays, we should start walking a little bit more by faith and not by sight. Where we say, you know what, the, the, the reality of the situation, I, I, I don't want, God, I know you've got something else. The reality of my marriage, the reality of my parenting, the reality of the city that I live in, the reality of the hopelessness that people have without Christ. God, I have to have eyes of faith. I have to believe. You know, right now in San Jose, I have to step out and say, I've got to believe as you see churches over and over closing. California alone, we see churches closing. We see church attendance on the steep decline post-COVID. You see less and less people engaging, less and less people wanting to pursue after God. And yet we see a dramatic spike in crime, a dramatic spike in just violent atrocities that are just happening as you watch the news. And we wonder if there's a correlation. And I would say yes, because we are not walking in faith. We are not pursuing God with this bold faith that we're supposed to have. And it's because we're looking at the situation around us and we're letting that affect us. Please write this down. I say it like this. Note takers are history makers. Don't let the bones lead to the death of your belief. The bones are dead. Your belief should not be. The bones are dead. Don't let your faith die along with them. But how many of us are looking at the situation in our homes, looking at the situation in our city, looking at the situation in our job, and we are then projecting that onto everything else? No, 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 no. I have to step back, and I have a hard time accepting that momentum is happening, that God is still moving, that God is still working. And I have to step back, and I'm like, okay, God, help me not to judge what I see right now. And I was doing this the other day, and I was sitting down with our team as we were thinking about the church, and I was just like, guys, I'm, I'm discouraged. I want to see more people saved, more people baptized. I want to see things happening. And I was a little bit just kind of stepping back and like, man, I want to see more people saved. I want to see more. And then they said, Micaiah, if you looked at last year's numbers as compared to this numbers, and I'm not saying numbers is everything. I'm just saying sometimes we can't see the forest because we're looking at the tree and I kind of got myopic and I was just focused on one thing and they said we've baptized more than we've ever baptized we're seeing more people saved the church has grown by 42 percent over last year and you're still thinking that's not enough and I was just like wow what am I doing you see you and I we look at days and God's like no no go decades Stop looking at just right here, right now. Stop looking at these bones that you see. Stop looking at this situation because in, in, in all the Gospels, what is Jesus constantly trying to get his disciples to do? O ye of little faith, O ye 
of little faith over and over. A faithless generation. Why, was you, why, why did your faith fail? Over and over. He's trying to do one thing. is encourage their faith. For them not to look at what they see and then say, God, look at this. Instead, it's, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. Our God loves impossible situations. He loves difficult situations. And isn't it amazing our favorite movies center around the hero overcoming difficult situations? Except when we have to face a difficult situation. Then we're like, no, 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 no. Give the difficult situation to Jeremy. (laughs) He's so strong. He's got that manly beard, you know. I mean, he can handle it. I can't handle it, God. And God's like, you're right. Until I give this to you, you never will be able to handle it. So I need to give it to you so you can handle it. And some of us keep pushing back on what God has given us. And God's like, no, I've entrusted this to you so that you can grow and I can strengthen you. So don't let the bones lead to the death of your belief. Because dead doesn't mean done, my friend. Romans chapter number 4, verse number 17, as it's written, I've made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him who believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Holy cow, what a verse. It's not that he just says, hey, I call dead things to life. He's saying things that don't even exist, I bring them into existence. That's what faith does. That's what the Holy Spirit inside of us does. So when you look at your city, when you look at the marriage, when you look at your life, you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to shut these, and I'm going to open up with the eyes of faith, and I'm going to see what you want to do, and I can't wait, and I get excited about what God is going to do. It's not up to me. It's not what I'm going to do. It's what the Holy Spirit's going to do through us. Go on to verse number seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling, the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. I love verse number seven. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. This is incredible. Imagine right now we move everybody in Fresno Church and we say, let's go to the grave site right now. Let's just start preaching. And then, and then you start hearing noise in all these caskets. And you're like, something's trying to get out of all these caskets. This is, this is great. This is better than anything spooky. They got anything that you're going to pay out there. This is incredible. And then we start writing books. And then the news cameras show up. And then people are like, we got to get this guy on a circuit because when he preaches, bones start rattling. This is incredible. And man, we would just... We'd be happy just to see some bones moved. We'd be happy with a little noise. Some of us would settle for a little noise. I'm hard of hearing, almost deaf in my left ear, so I have to remind our church oftentimes I'm not being rude. I literally can't hear you, so if I walk fast past you, I'm not trying to be rude. I just can't hear you. I'm deaf in that ear, and so I have to turn my good ear to you, which works well when it's a conversation with my wife. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. That's not my good ear. You know, I got to have my good ear to you. I have my bad ear to you. I didn't hear that you said take out the trash. I didn't hear you said you wanted me to go with you to the mall. I'm sorry. I didn't hear it. I just heard I need to watch football. That's all I heard. That's it. Who am I kidding? I don't watch football. I'm watching the Lord of the Rings. Um, Anyway, so uh, when it comes to this thing about hearing, some of us are okay with hearing about rattling. Hearing bone hitting bone. But hearing and having are two totally different things. And how many of you are consent with just hearing about it? And you don't care if you don't ever have it. How many churches do you know right now that hear it but never have it? I would rather have it all day long. 
When I go down to the dealership, I don't pull out my wallet and say, yeah, see that new car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's it going to cost? Okay. All right, go ahead. Let's buy that car. And then I leave with it, and I tell everybody, I bought a new car. And they said, oh, really? You bought a new car? Yeah, I bought a new car. And they said, can we see it? No, I don't have it. Then you got ripped off, bro. Nobody does that in life, but yet in Christianity, we do it all the time. Oh, I went to a great conference. Oh, I went to a great worship night. Oh, I went to Sunday morning at Fresno Church, and it was powerful. It was great. I loved it. I walked out of there so refreshed. Okay, so you heard it. What do you have? Because our, our world doesn't need symbolism. It needs substance. And what the church is grossly lacking substance, something of power, something that can speak to blind eyes where blind eyes can see, where dead faith comes alive, where divorcees can get remarried, where those who are sick and depressed and discouraged, they come to the house of God. and the house of God, there's miracles that are happening. And all of a sudden, people are storming the church doors saying, Sunday at 1030 is not enough at Fresno Church. I need to be there even more. I need the word of God even more. I need the people of God even more. I need the word of God even more because I can't settle with just hearing about it. I gotta have it. And it's like going to Cold Stone Creamer. I like it. I love it. I gotta have it. I gotta have as much as I can because I'm an ice cream fanatic. And yet, when it comes to church, we're just kind of like, <laughs> so cute. I love being at church. I surrender all. Oh, I love the cello. Oh, I just feel it. Goosebumps. That's it. That doesn't change anything. That's why it doesn't last more than 45 minutes after lunch. That's why you can go a Sunday and you can't remember what the preacher preached on last week because you're okay with just hearing it, not having it. And I know I'm the guest and I don't mean to just blow in, blow up, and blow out, but I do kind of get to do that. Sorry, Pastor Darrell. It's on you, brother. He can fix whatever I mess up. But when are we going to wake up and say, God, I'm not content? When are we going to get back to where I'm going to grab the horns of the altar and I'm not going to leave and I'm not going to let you go till you bless me? What happened to that? What happened to that intercessory prayer? What happened to that kind of prayer that moves mountains? What happened to that kind of prayer that says, God, I'm not going to leave this spot where this altar is going to be filled. I miss churches that don't have an altar. So many times we no longer have this altar. We're building the building. And I said, hey, it's going to look like a church. It's going to feel like a church. And we're going to put an altar because I want the fire of God to fall. And the fire doesn't fall unless there's something to put on the altar. And guess what? I want to come on Sundays and I want to be able to put my life on the altar and say, God, ignite me because I'm going to San Jose where 97% of the population do not attend any religious gathering. That's Mormon, that's Buddhist, that's Islamic, that's Christian, Protestant, Catholic, Baha'i, all of them. 97% no religious gathering. That means 3% go to any religious gathering. I've got my work cut out for me. So I need to be baptized in the fire of the power of the Holy Spirit every time I go out into the city because that city of San Jose, they need some people who are dripping in the Holy Spirit's anointing. Not this, I'm content to have it. Not I went to a Brandon Lake concert and I'm feeling good that I heard a couple worship songs. But no, I've got a fire that's shut up inside my bones and it compels me to go out and preach it compels me to tell my neighbors my loved ones it's not enough for me just to sit here and just say oh that's a good sound I hear it oh never come to a Sunday and just say did I hear it 
I talk to our church people, I said this. They'll come up to me every once in a while and they'll say, hey, that was a good message. And if it's good, Jane wrote it and I've delivered it. That's how you know it was good, okay? That's, that's the rule. Mike knows. You can ask him. And so when, when that happens, people come up to me and I say, oh, oh, that, that, thank you, thank you. What did you remember from it? You said it was good. What did you get out of it? Oh, I was just being polite, Pastor. Okay, that's not being polite. It's called a lie. But that's okay. We're at church. I guess that's allowed. I want something. I come to church with an expectation. I don't know about you, but I never go to a restaurant and walk in and sit down and the waiter come over and say, what would you like to order? And I say, oh, no, no, no. I just want to hear the sound of the cooks cooking up a meal. I just, I just want to smell it. I just want to sit in here. They would say, sir, we need your table. There, there are hungry people. If you ain't a paying customer, then, then, then you, can, you can go sit in the lobby or something. But on Sunday mornings, we sit in these comfortable chairs, and we're content to never fill up. We're content to come in and never say, God, I'm going to open my mouth wide that I might receive. I, God, fill me. Use me. God, right now, I, I, I come hungry. Because i got to go out there, and i gotta, I got to go into a world that drains everything I've got. So, Lord, it's not enough just to hear about it anymore. It's not enough just to have some rattling. I don't want a little rattle. I want something real today. I want something that's alive. I want that quickening of the spirit that, that made alive. I, I don't want to just hear something anymore. I need some substance. I need something real this morning. What I need is found in verse number 8. Catch it. It says, indeed, I looked. And the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and skin covered them. But there was no, say it with me, church, breath. The Hebrew word is ruah. Touch your neighbor and say ruah. Get this word inside of you this week. Meditate on this word. Genesis 127, let us therefore make man in our image. And man, Genesis 2-7, he formed out of the dust of the earth. And then he ruah into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. I pray nobody passes out today where I have to do CPR. You don't want that. But God did divine CPR on that shell of a man and imparted his spirit into man's spirit. And that's what we need. That's ruah. That's the spirit of the living God. Every Sunday, what we need to say is, God, breathe your breath on us. God, blow this morning. God, let your spirit come into this place. Breathe on us, O breath of God. God, breathe. Blow. May the wind of your spirit blow because that's where the life is. That's where the ruah is. Man had everything that, that looked like a man. He had the muscles. He had the bone structure. He had the hair. Everything about him, ten fingers, ten toes, everything about him looked like a man, but there was something that was missing. And today, Today we come into churches and we see people that look like Christians, act like Christians, carry Bibles like Christians, but then something is missing. It's the Ruah of God. It is said today that less than 5% of the church is truly born again. That a majority of Christians attending and worshiping are not truly born again. You say, how do we know that? Because, let me ask you, do you have a greater sensitivity to the sinfulness of your sin? Because the closer you get to God, the sensitivity for things 
is heightened. The sensitivity. I once bought a 2007 Nissan Altima. I didn't even know the car was really round. I, I just didn't think anything of it. I bought it, and then I started driving. I was like, this is a cool car. I don't see a lot of them. But as soon as I bought the car, something magically happened. Everybody in San Jose had that car. I was like, did I start a trend? I'm, I'm better than Kim Kardashian. I, I, I'm a trendsetter. Man, this is amazing. That's not what happened. I just never noticed the car. It was always there. People had always been driving them. All of a sudden, something happened to me. That's what happened. What needs to happen is something inside of us. We say, breath of God, I, I need that breath. Breathe. You see, do you lack life? Mark this down. We don't need more life-like Christians. We need Christians with life. And I'm tired of people saying, oh, look at it. It's so lifelike. My wife works at Stanford, and so we went to a museum at Stanford, and they would sit there at these little statues, you know, that they, they made, and they were like, look at it. It's so lifelike. Oh, look at this picture. Look at the angle. It's so lifelike. What if we walked up? Look at this Christian. He's so lifelike. Look at the marriage. It's so lifelike. How did they get divorced? How did he stop coming to church? How did they do that? Because they were lifelike. They didn't have life. When are we getting tired of lifelike? Isn't it funny how desensitized we get to fake things in our world? Why is it furniture polish that says made with real lemons and then lemonade is made with some fake powdery stuff? But we do it in the church. We just, it's too polite to call anybody out. This is why a community is so important, small group community, life group community, where you can kind of get into that phase where somebody can say, hey, I, I see something in you, and I don't mean to be condemning. I just think you're condoning something in your life. There's a difference between condemnation and condoning. Those are two different things. And we vacillate between the two, don't we? We're just condemning everybody, and then we condone in ourselves. And you need to get in a community where the community can iron sharpening iron, where God can then say, hey, where's the ruah? Where's the life of the spirit? John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have and the words that I speak to you are spirit and life. We need breath. We need the ruah. We need what God can do, not what we can do. So we, our prayer needs to be, God, would you breathe on us? You see, the spirit of the, of the living God wants to breathe on his church. He wants to move. He wants to blow. But you know, we kind of go back. Verse number 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded me. And breath came into them and they breathed and they stood up on their feet an exceeding great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from the graves and bring into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves. O my people, brought up from your graves, I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. You say, okay, I get it. I get it. A dead and desperate situation, but you don't understand my situation. You're absolutely right. I don't. I'm learning because I typically will take on the feelings of others. And I learned recently that anxiety is actually contagious. The most anxious person in the room is actually the most powerful, and you actually spread it amongst yourself. If you're anxious, everybody around you becomes anxious. It's contagious. 
And so I thought about that, and I was like, well, we live in the age of anxiety, of anxiousness. We just kind of live there. It's all contagious. And so when you and I just kind of look at our situation and say, it's hopeless, it's dead, and then you start projecting that deadness on everything that you come into, understand, in this passage, here's the powerful reminder. Divine power doesn't need divine conditions. Some of us will say things like this, like, it's just not the right season for me. I don't even know what that means. It's not the right season for you? I love a poem, and it's called The Light Brigade. Ours is not to reason why. Ours is but to do or die. You see, we are called to a spirit of obedience. That's what we're called to. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's. But yet the church is sometimes and somehow we just feel like, well, no, 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 it's not my season. I don't know what that means, but we need to push back on that and say, hey, can you define that? Can you clarify that? What do you mean by it's not your season? Because we are called to obedience. Is this not in the word of God? Is this not what the scripture teaches us? Because if it's not in the scripture, then I get it. Yeah, go for it. But if the spirit of God is telling us to go and move forward, if the spirit of God is encouraging and empowering us to move on this and we don't, that is not anything to do with it's not your season. That is called rebellion and disobedience against the work of God. And you're hindering what God wants to do and what miracles he wants to bring into your life. And so we need to come back and simply say, God, I don't need divine conditions. And, and God is not looking for divine conditions. But yet somehow the church is. I'll tell you, and I so, told my wife, I said, it makes no sense that we are building a building in this climate. Because more and more I talk to people and they're saying, I'm moving out of California. I just lost my job, or my job is doing cutbacks, and I'm like, excellent, we're trying to raise $10 million to build a building. It just doesn't make sense. But then I come back and say, God, it's your will, so this is definitely your bill. This is all God. God, you're going to have to do this in this moment. And so God is not looking for divine conditions, but yet God's people seem to be looking for those divine conditions. And we have to step back and say, God, you're going to do this. Church, let me take you back. I know some may still be sitting with some deep wounds that have not healed. And you may be sitting here and you're saying, but Kaya, you have not been here the last two years. You're in San Jose where it's a balmy 72 degrees. It's Fresno. This is hot. There is the sun hot. There's the earth. And here's Fresno right here. We're right there. You don't know what we go through here. No, no, I lived here. I was born and raised. And strangely enough, I love it here. My wife, it's a miracle that she's here. She's like, I'm allergic to Fresno. I literally have an allergic reaction. My feet swell. I break out in hives. This is amazing that she's here. I'm so blessed that she is here. It's incredible. But folks, I was there on the first Sunday. Before there was Fresno Church, before there was this building, there was a hotel conference room off the 41 freeway, and we had Sunday school. I was four years old, so I wasn't old enough to usher. You had to be five to be an usher back then, okay? And it was our family and one truck driver in Sunday school. And I was like, this church planning thing is easy. It didn't work. Let's go do something else. This is great. But then the next service, next service, the service, five other people showed up. There wasn't anything back then. You wouldn't have walked in and been like, they got a celloist. I'm coming to that church. Man, 
just for the Chalowists. They got Hunter. They got Pastor Daryl. They got the Keller Halls. They got the Goldsboro's. They got Mrs. Church. They, I'm going there. There was none of that. And in six months, the church raised $85,000 and bought 10 acres on Bryan. Let me put it in perspective how much $85,000 is. That's like today's money raising $188,000. And a church was six months old. And let me just tell you, I didn't have that in my penny bank. If anything, my dad would take my penny bank and dump it in the offering because there was no money coming in. You're the church that did that. You bought the Bryan property, and then Brother Keller Halls and Mrs. Keller Halls, after work, would show up. Remember this, Brother Keller Halls? You would show up, and after you'd worked a long day at Teague Elementary, you'd get up on a hot roof, because remember, this is Fresno, the sun, Fresno, earth, okay? Just put it all in perspective, okay? And he's up on a roof because we needed a new roof. It was an old farmhouse, so you ripped off all the side paneling, and you're converting an old farmhouse into a church, and on Sundays, chickens would come into service. How many, raise your hand if you remember the chicken? The snakes would come into the service. Yeah, and we weren't the Baptists that like, oh, in the power of Jesus, the snake's not going to do it. We weren't that kind of Baptist. We could have been. It would have been cool, but we weren't. And, uh, and th those were just the days. And it was amazing what God was doing because it was so exciting. I don't know if the Keller Halls and Mrs. Church thought it was exciting, but I thought it was exciting. I was like, we're at a farmhouse. This is amazing. I just stepped on a rusty nail. And I was like, this is incredible. Church was wild. And yet God started doing some things. I remember when the church's first drove into town and we were like wow this kid named David has the coolest toys this is amazing and I couldn't wait to go over to his house and hang out with him and you just remember how God began to build the church and people started attending and then we merged with Community Baptist Church on Clinton and then uh, uh, God just began to build the church continue that one room schoolhouse God just began to fill it and then Brother Keller Halls was back remodeling something. I don't know what, but he was always, every time you saw him, he was remodeling something. I don't know if he just didn't want to be home or something, or he was just something going on, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure it's all resolved now, but anyway, at the time, he was always fixing something. Something was going on, and then we got the modulars, and you're buying property, and then things just begin to happen. Can I tell you what, folks? Don't do what I did, and you think this is the worst it's ever been. My friend, what you guys have is incredible. What is here is incredible. There's not 30,000 churches. There's one. And Southridge Church stands with Fresno Church. And every church stands with you guys. And every church says it may be Look, dead and desperate, but these are great conditions for God to do a mighty work and a mighty move of his spirit. So don't count it out. Don't give up. Don't stop. I remember 1982 watching the play. It was Stanford versus Cal. I know you guys root for the Bulldogs. I root for Stanford, but it was Stanford, and you had a John uh, Elway. No, 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 Dan Marino. John Elway, I can't remember, but I think it might have been John Elway. He was the quarterback. Stanford's up. It looks like Stanford's going to win, and a matter of fact, there's one final play, and it just seemed like it was over. As a matter of fact, it was so over that the Stanford marching band is already on the field. You can go look at the game, November 3rd, 1982, the Stanford marching band. They think it's over. It's done. It's time to go home. Stanford wins. But then the play is intercepted. And then there's a run. And there's a lateral. And a forward lateral, side lateral. And people are running. The ball's almost fumbled. And Cal trips over a trombone player, still makes a touchdown, and wins the game. Right now, you may be thinking, I'm going to bet against these bones. I don't know if God can do anything. 
my friend, God is looking for a great opportunity where he can show himself strong. That's what he's looking for. When I am weak, he is what? The problem is our culture says never look weak. Never let them see you bleed. What Brother Jeremy did, just getting vulnerable, is powerful. Especially when you see a dude with a beard and plaid get vulnerable. You're like, wow, that's like John Wayne being vulnerable. That was amazing. And then you see God works in that weakness. When we just say, God, here, here all I am. I, I don't got much. I'm just, I just got five loaves and a Maybe a couple of fish, and you know, I don't know if you can do anything. And then Andrew says, well, let me take it. Let's, let's go over to this guy named Jesus. Let's, let's see what he does. He's going to pray and break it, and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I can have him borrow something to lunch. And then, and then the next day, 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. My friend, don't let these conditions distract you from what God's going to do. When you drive out of our parking lots, and you guys may have it too, we have on the back of each sign that says, the best is yet to come. It's a statement of faith, a statement of belief. It's a declarative statement. As you drive out, the best is yet to come. Because heaven is waiting. God is waiting. And we want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But if we stop now, we're, not gonna, we're gonna miss out. I don't want to hear about something. In the book of Ruth, you can go there, you can see that uh, Naomi and her husband left Bethlehem because of the famine and they were in Moab and then it said they heard the famine was over in Bethlehem. They left the place of bre bread. You can leave now and then one day you're going to hear about what God did in Fresno Church. Yeah. Or you can say, I'm going to stay in the house of bread. I'm going to help and I'm going to lift up the arms of those that are leading and say, hey, I'm praying for you. We're going to make it through. These aren't the worst. The worst is having a five-year-old usher standing in front of you. Because it was like, <laughs> you can't resist a five-year-old face. As a matter of fact, maybe churches need to go back to having five-year-olds take the offering. I bet you they would double. Because you ever seen a five-year-old sell chocolate bars? It's not even fair. Or Girl Scouts selling the Girl Scout cookies? I'm telling you, we need to rethink how we do these offerings. You, you put some cute kids, man, you'll help me pay for my building. It'll be great. church, you get what I'm trying to say. I think we've heard the message. Why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that bones, they don't scare you. Graves, you love graves. You did your greatest work in a graveyard. So no matter what our conditions are, you can do something amazing. So in this moment, maybe people's faith is hanging by a thread. Maybe they're torn. Maybe they're on the fence about what to do. And it may not even be necessarily leaving the church. It could be something infinitely greater. It could be leaving the faith. Where they say, I'm too wounded, I'm too hurt. There can't be a God. Maybe they're at the point they're not sure if they're marriage is going to make it. Father, maybe there's some here that are struggling 
with a son or a daughter and they can't break through and they feel like it's just this graveyard right now. And we know our feelings aren't facts, but right now they're the realest thing to us. And so we gotta bring them to an altar. Your word in 1 Peter 5, 8 says, cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. So we just gotta cast it into your arms this morning. We gotta bring it to you where you take all of it. And I love the promise in your word where you say you're able to make all grace abound to us that we may be able to do all good works. You're able to make that grace abound, God. You're able to take what is dead and desperate in our life and you're able to transform it. And we come into your presence saying, God, I need some transformation. And when we get honest and humble before you, the transformative work begins. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hand and say, yeah, Micaiah, I need some prayer. I'm looking at a desperate situation. Is that you? God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? You say, can you pray for me? Amen. God bless you. Oh, yes, I see those hands in the back. God bless you. I'm going to pray, but as I pray, I don't know how you guys do it, but I want to open up this altar. And if you want to come make an altar in your seat and kneel and pray right there, that's fine. But you want to come front and you want to pray? I don't know if you have people that will pray with you, but I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. There's nothing special about my prayer, but I would love to just join you in that fight. Where two or three are gathered, there I'm in the midst where we're in agreement. I'd love to agree with you over some things and ask God to break through. That's why we go to church, so we can pray together. So let me pray for those hands, and let's just spend some time in the presence of God, allowing Him to do a deep work. Oh, Heavenly Father, Your presence that's been with us this whole time, this presence that's been here in this room that was here before we arrived, may we feel it. May it be so tangible. Help us to sense what you're wanting to say to us. I pray that you would quiet all the other noise and distraction. That you'd be able to speak directly into our hearts what you have for us. God, there is a message that you want to say. And we've let bones distract us. We've let desperate situations, the things we're in the middle of just overcrowd us and just instead of just choosing to sit at your feet and say God I'm not going to be anxious about this I'm going to bring it to you and you're going to do something with it maybe you're here you just say I need that, that ruah the breath of God to move Holy Spirit move across this place fill those that you can fill and may those who are resisting May they find repentance. May they have a greater sensitivity to the sinfulness of sin so that they can be filled to a greater level with the Spirit. And may you do great things for we believe the best is yet to come.